Hey, and welcome back to I'm No Expert, but today the brilliant Lottie Bevan is joining me and going to talk to us about the indie gaming industry. Hello. Hello. Hey, um, so yeah, first things first, what are you kind of currently doing? I know you do a lot of things, but what is it that you're working on at the moment? So right now, um, I uh, co-founded a studio um, with uh, another developer mm-hmm. called By The Factory, and we are a narrative-led studio, and we have recently released a game called Cultist Simulator, where you found your own cults, um, and it's very story-driven and, and, and fun, and maybe you make the end of the world happen, but maybe you don't. That is so cool. <laughs> I am particularly interested in like documentaries about cults. So I've watched all of them. Everything. Okay, so we could talk about that like afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so how do you even get into that? Is this something that you thought you would do when you were younger? So I grew up watching my dad play games, actually. Mm. I, w- I wouldn't call myself like a gamer, mm-hmm. um, which I think Why brings not? with it. I think when you talk to a normal person who's not in the industry yeah. and you say gamer, there's a very specific image that pops up, which mm-hmm. is basically a kind of like loser fat boy in a basement. Like wiping like Doritos off the exactly, chest. Kind of always with <laughs> Doritos for reasons <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and I feel that doesn't work very well, particularly with women, because mm-hmm. I think during adolescence, you have a lot of issues working out who you are and, and how you look and all these kind of specific feminine things yeah um and i think it's quite putting to describe yourself as something that will p- make people picture an individual who isn't good at social skills and is a bit weird and, and yada yada um and and the, the reality of it is is there isn't a gamer yeah um i think there's just people who like playing video games and increasingly there's a, a wide variety of different games it's no longer just like i want to shoot people yeah now it's like there are games about um being a mortician and games about like wow. death and games about like bunnies and there's one game about just being a really horrible goose and annoying <laughs> a farmer i was about to say the goat simulator <laughs> and goat simulator yeah, just great. be a naughty goat <laughs> yeah. um so so yeah uh, but yeah so i grew up watching my father play games mm-hmm. and i kind of thought that was a fun thing but never thought about it as a career mm-hmm. and then i studied english literature at uni yeah, which same. has nothing great yeah best degree <laughs> it's <laughs> I can't tell you what I did with it. Basically, no job prospects, but it's fun. Um, And I got out of uni and thought, actually, what can I do? I don't want to be an English teacher. My degree doesn't lead in any other specific direction. Mm -hmm. But what I really love is I love art Mm -hmm. and and particularly stories. And I also love tech because I'm a big old nerd. And that is united, I think, in games in a a unique way. So... um just going back to the art thing because I know like that plays a big part in your games where like did you do A levels with it did you like how did you get so into art that you're like oh this is definitely like also a career path as well as tech I mean I think my my career path has basically been um being in a studio where we don't have an artist um (laughs) so when I was a teenager I kind of just taught myself to use photoshop because my big sister was kind of into graphic design and I thought that was kind of cool and maybe I could learn it myself so I went through like this the early social media like live journal and I made like avatars and then I made layouts and yeah. I kind of like taught myself the real basic stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was back when I was about 16. So I've had years and years and years of, of, of now messing around with it to the point where I actually do you know what I'm doing. Yeah. So um, when you work in a really small studio and Weather Factory, my studio has only two people in it full time. Um, there's lots of jobs that need doing. And I'm one of those people who just kind of is like, right, well, I'll do the job then if no one else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and that means that I could practice my art and get better over time. And now I'm making art for games. Oh, that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> and you came out of university and then like kind of what did you do how did you just be like okay so I'm going to work in this industry that kind of is seemingly from the outside anyway like a very difficult one to get into like I can't imagine the steps like where do you go the job center doesn't seem to have much <laughs> no, I, uh, there's a lot of um a lot of like traditional society doesn't really understand games at all. Like yeah. even places that are promoting like science, like STEM, like mm-hmm. you'll notice the acronym doesn't have like a G in there because yeah. no one really knows what to do with games. Even though it's 
engineering, it's like it, it incorporates all of it. Yeah. But but again, it doesn't really fit into anybody's kind of worldview right mm. now, and it, and it really will in the future because it's only getting bigger every year. Um, but my particular uh, entryway into it was because I'm not a specialist. You know, I didn't have a coding degree, I didn't have a design degree. Um, was basically reach out to indie studios in my area in London, okay. and I looked. Um, there's lots of lists online um, of studios in people's areas. There's one that covers the whole of the UK, and I'm sure there's international lists as well. Yeah, and I literally just looked at studios that I thought were making interesting games um, but were small enough to maybe need somebody who didn't have much experience and I just emailed them and said hey I'm Lottie here's my experience does what, anybody need what me? What was your experience up until that point? N- nothing relevant at all. <laughs> okay. um, just like fully selling yourself. Yeah just yeah, like because I think you know yeah. what I was offering was um somebody who could pick up things quickly and be useful in a kind of general way and I wasn't That's saying great. I want to be a particular job I, w- I didn't say mm-hmm. I wanted to be a UI designer or, or an artist what I said was like I really want to work in games yeah. I need experience and if you need a sort of smart person around who can help then then I'm your gal <laughs> um, and most people obviously didn't because because yeah. they didn't um, and I ended up making a bit of a idiot of myself by I think the first person I emailed was a, a studio I really love um, yeah. who made a game that really like spoke to me and they emailed back and said that is really lovely that you want to work for us but we're like eight men in Sweden so we can't <laughs> offer you anything and I was like okay I uh, never mind um, I always appreciate that though, when they even get back to you like I have thing. done that I'm sure if I went through my emails I'd be like begging from work experience from everyone and <laughs> I, I have done that for like big places that I'm like oh that's such a cringy thing to do but like it was kind of lovely that they said oh sorry like I don't know no totally yeah. and I've um I've actually uh, Terry Pratchett the the famous cool. writer um has a daughter Rihanna Pratchett mm-hmm. who is one of the prominent women in games and there's there's few of us mm-hmm. so I kind of knew about her before I got in the industry yeah. and I actually emailed her and said look I'm interested in being a writer for games theoretically I've got an English degree like do you have any advice for getting into the industry and she's like quite a big name like yeah, um, and and she took the time to email me back and she had like a prepared document because obviously she gets loads of these emails and I recently met her again now being part of the industry mm-hmm. at events and I went up to her and said actually I remember you because you were the first person who said something and mm-hmm. I just wanted to let you know that it really meant something so so now we're kind of friends yeah. and it's really weird but lovely That's so. so lovely do you see yourself like kind of uh repro- I don't know what the word is like giving that back kind of like um do you do that for women who reach out to you a lot as well definitely yeah. so um at Weather Factory we've set up a scheme of mentoring anyway oh, so any great. indies who feel that that, that, could, that just need a second opinion on what they're doing mm-hmm. or need a particular specialism um can come to us and it's totally free and if we have the time and we think the game is something we can help with um both my partner and I totally jump in and say here's our advice what can we do to help and obviously particularly with women Mm -hmm. I'm super onto that so there are women in games um, communities and we've actually started our own uh, women in games meetup which is more about making friends and and kind of having a support network throughout your career than like networking which is a bit intense Um, so yeah definitely giving back why do you think it is such like a male dominated space I think it's um, two main reasons and Mm -hmm. it's kind of in a cycle so um, there is that societal expectation Mm -hmm. that men play games and girls don't yeah um, which I think is off-putting for lots of people. And unless you have a figure in your life who's already playing games and making it okay, I think Completely. it's quite difficult for women to go out and like, I'm going to buy a PlayStation and I'm going to sit at home and play a game. Because yeah. I was like, why? And, and and no one asked that of a, of a boy. Yeah. Like the games I had, I uh, only had PlayStation 1 when I was like little. Dance Mat, Lilo and Stitch. I mean, great games. But like, I was, I, I was just interested in those, I guess. But like, I have no other experience of any other games really yeah and and I I really do think you need someone to introduce you to them otherwise Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen organically for for women 
Um, and I think part of the reason for that is the other side of the, of the cycle, which is that the games industry traditionally produces games that are made by men and tend to therefore be for men. Yeah. So originally, all games were basically let's shoot things and be like macho and violent. Yeah. And some girls enjoy that, and mm-hmm. of course they do because that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but but lots of girls don't. Lots of girls prefer things like Pokemon or, yeah. or you know. Like and men as well. It must be alien. Absolutely, like it's so, so ridiculous. Yeah. So many guys. And like now, there's a big trend in games um, for there to be kind of like parent narratives, where it's really? basically about like usually a dad mm-hmm. who's either having to to look after a child mm-hmm. figure or become a kind of better father because he's been a bit crap before, and the, the events of the story. In Prove him. I read something like that about uh, Christmas films and how like they it's, it's always like divorced father needs to like get back on yeah, the side. Yeah, of, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely uh, there was always an appetite for it. It mm-hmm. just wasn't being met. I think because it was just so young and, and suddenly we could shoot people and that was fun. Yeah, and that is really fun sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, nice to see it's changing a bit. And then yeah, I was about to say, do you think it's changed? Like you haven't really. How long have you been in like gaming industry? Would you say? Oh, I don't know. It's quite a hard thing to say. Um, Four to five years now, I think. That's quite a short amount of time. I was yeah. going to say, have you seen much? But then it's such a fast-growing industry, I guess. And most women, um, I think famously, the games industry loses people around the eight-year mark. Really? It can be quite a hard industry, and oh. it can be quite um, depressing, particularly in the indie scene, because yeah. if you make a few mistakes, you can go out of business. Um, Where do they tend to go, people? Well, that's the thing. Mm. Um, people in the games industry tend to be eminently employable, usually because they have some sort of tech or code knowledge, which is always useful. Like That's never not going to help you get a job anywhere. Um, and particularly if you work in the indie scene, you tend to develop a kind of like go-getting, I-can-do-a-bit-of-everything attitude, which again makes it very easy to employ you elsewhere. Um, I was also going to come back to the kind of like women in games narrative because I watched an interview with you, with you where you were talking about uh, Lara Croft and like kind of <laughs> like her. So you've heard my spiel before. Yeah. <laughs> You're sitting there very bored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not. But I was going to say, do you think like, because I think when I think of like women's representation in games, I just imagine like just like a lot of boob. <laughs> there you, is a lot of boob. Do you think that like the like the portrayal of women has changed much in games? Um, it is still very much alive and well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of like jiggle physics or the kind of nonsense surrounding. No, I'm probably going to be glad to have. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it basically this is what happens if you get a bunch of guys making a game and most of them are heterosexual. Mm-hmm. And if if the, if you said to that random person in that studio, do you want to make a character that looks like a guy or do you want to make a really hot girl? They're going to be like, <laughs> I would actually prefer to look at a hot girl for six months than a guy. And and that is, I think, fine. Um, but obviously leads to lots of busty ladies being stupid, which is not great. Um, so, so that is very much still there. But I think what's changed is there's a lot of alternatives. And increasingly people are, or studios, do not get a positive response from consistently just producing sexist images of women. Yeah. Um, so even the ones that are making lots of money from doing it right now, like the kind of beat-em-ups, I think, are probably one of the worst genres for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a healthy future of only doing sexist women. Yeah. In the same way that I think Disney, for example, had like a, a kind of revolution in the last 10, 20 years where mm-hmm. suddenly they realised that maybe Disney princesses wasn't really in line with modern feminism. And then we yeah. had, you know, Lilo and Stitch and Mulan <laughs> and all these like cool things about actually women being interesting rather than like, I was rescued by a prince. And it just like, I just, for a lot of like things like this, when it's like seen as a marketing decision, I just think it's like, well, you're just going to make more money if you're just like more representative of like 
the general population because then those people are playing your games like well that's a really interesting point actually like like i think you're right absolutely mm -hmm. because you're ignoring 50 percent of the population theoretically if yeah. you're not you know thinking about girls um but i think particularly on the internet there is a, a nasty undercurrent mm. of people who use it to troll or to dox oh, or definitely. to control opinion and i don't think it really works but with some big studios and big games we have seen some backlash where for example um a famous ip uh all about war um i think battlefield is the name of the of the ip mm -hmm. uh, recently announced its new version of a game and it featured a woman on the front and yeah. for the first time they put women soldiers into the game mm -hmm. and you would think this is fine it wasn't like it was all women mm -hmm. and suddenly it was about petting ponies not about going to war yeah. but there was a massive backlash from the existing fan base where they said like this is not a game for us it's not historically accurate like <laughs> i will not buy your game and you will lose money <laughs> and firstly like, everyone was like shut up you will buy the game and also like <laughs> grow up um and and the the developers who made it basically said that too because you can make a big song and dance about it and you can be really mean to individuals yeah. en masse if you want to but but this is the way the future is going yeah. so it's kind of get on board or get off yeah it's also the past like <laughs> women are in like the military <laughs> just yeah well and you know that in the same game or in very similar games people very rightfully pointed out that there were like easter eggs like um megalodon the mm -hmm. infamous gigantic shark from the from the like dinosaur period yeah. could appear in game and nobody said no no that's not historically <laughs> accurate it was only when women soldiers occasionally were around that people yeah. were like nope not in my game not in my war i definitely think that's like part of why of like why the gaming industry is alienating to a lot of people is just i've read about gamer gay i've seen the hate that women get like a lot of i've get in contact with gamers i, was, I interviewed a gamer the other day um and i was talking about how a lot of the time when i'm trying to contact someone i can't work out their real name or their picture or like not that that necessarily matters but like obviously a lot of people take those precautions to kind of stay anonymous for like those reasons i think that's a really good thing to raise like mm. that there is that there um i personally have never experienced like anything serious like that at yeah. all I think uh, what I have experienced is the same as most women in tech, which is basically kind of casual sexism because you're in the minority. Um, and there have been influences of some sort of men being a bit odd, yeah. but, but they're very isolated. Mm -hmm. um, so I think anybody thinking of getting into games should be aware that they will be in the minority if they're a, a girl, yeah. but they shouldn't be put off. Yeah. Like you just need to prepare yourself. And going on to the positives, <laughs> um, can you like talk to me about, um, it's called the Weather Factory, right? Your Weather Factory, Weather yeah. Factory. Um, like, how do you even go about starting that? Like, where you, because you're only five years into your career. Like, I would, in my outside perspective, think that's like way along the lane, like along the line. How do you get to a point in your career where you're like, I can start my own in like gaming studio here? So, um, my background is production. Mm -hmm. So, if anyone doesn't know what a producer is, basically you're in charge of, of keeping everybody going in the same direction and making sure everyone knows what you're doing because it can be very fractured in games. Like, you get specialists really focusing on their area and it's easy to lose track of like the product that you're ultimately trying to make. So, producers tend to have a more um, business centric or kind of a uh, high level viewpoint on what's going on in a studio which is quite a good starting point to then start your own studio because you kind of understand the, the basics of everything even if you're not a specialist something mm -hmm. um, so that's very useful and I also had the very good luck of um, co-founding with um, a person who was my previous boss at another studio so he'd actually already co-founded a studio so he brought a lot of knowledge oh, okay, that's great. Um, but we have very different like skill sets so we complement each other quite well mm -hmm. and what we wanted to do was something that was more experimental than we could do at the current studio which employed like 18 people and like I said if you make mistakes as an indie you don't tend to have a huge amount of money to fall back on so it's quite easy to go out of business yeah. so he didn't want to put his employees at risk like that yeah. so we were like well, we'll go off and found our own place mm -hmm. and we're just two of us 
we'll see how it goes and then if it all goes to pot and we won't feel guilty about being like I have to fire you now <laughs> um and yeah so so I think you just got to get out there and, and go for it and does it work with just you two or do you take on a lot of freelancers as well or? we do take on freelancers yeah so so only two of us working full-time mm-hmm. um but then whenever we have a skill set that we don't have which is quite frequently with yeah. only two of us then we will hire in a freelancer so we have like a kind of rotating mm-hmm. um su- circle of, of people that we now know and trust and yeah. they know and trust us so it's a nice how do you kind of initially hire them if you haven't known them before like so this is something that I did a lot um, in previous roles. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite good at going out and finding specific people on the internet. And, and to be specific and practical about it, mm-hmm. um, I think if you Google a specific thing, like I will Google, I don't know, like UI freelancer London. Mm-hmm. Firstly, I want them in my time zone, ideally, because yeah. then I don't have to deal with like, you know, 10 p.m. Skype calls. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, if they have the nouse to have set up a, a nice website, that's indicative of somebody who's like on it which is cool. And if they've had the extra nows to sort out their SEO, so they <laughs> appear in the top 10 pages of Google, <laughs> then I'm like, you are already an interesting, cool person. <laughs> um, and then obviously everyone has online portfolios and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you just get talking and work out rates and, and give them a trial and see how it goes. Um, and kind of what does it look like from Call to Sim, because Call to Simulate is your first game? Or is that? It's the first game of this studio. Oh, okay, yeah. And how do you go from like kind of conceptualizing that to it actually being a game that you can play? I know that's a very big question. <laughs> yeah, that's a really hard question. Um, so uh, there's an area, of an, uh, a time of making games called mm-hmm. pre-production, which is basically before you've committed to making it. And um, we are trying to answer all the questions about like, what is the game? What, what's the vision? What are the design pillars? What are the themes? And then on top of that, you're like, how big is it? And how much is it going to cost? And all the kind of boring practical realities. Um, so uh, this is more my co-founder's bag, as he's the designer. Um, but essentially what you do is you, is you work out, you know, I'm interested theoretically in making a game about, insert here, and it could be, like we said, being a naughty goat, or <laughs> it could be about, like, a grim, serious look at, like, medieval warfare, or whatever you want, and then you, and then you kind of um, dig deeper into specifically what interests you about that that theme, you know, is it that you want to work out um, what it's like to be a woman in 1700s France, or is it that actually what you're interested in is the technology of the time, or, or whatever, and then from there, you can steer it into a particular genre. So do you want it to be a simulator? Do you want it to be a shoot-em-up? Do you want it to be a platformer? And once you've got that, then it becomes about the detail and the creativity. And that's that's kind of the really fun bit. Yeah. Um, but it's also quite a dangerous bit because it's very easy to, to start like making or designing a game that's like huge and totally not ever going to be able something something that you can make. Um, and that's when you need to be a little bit careful and get production to come in and say, yeah, okay, but here's what realistically we can do. And then, yeah, I... I'm just kind of like overwhelmed by how much work that is and how that's basically a two-person studio. <laughs> we are quite hardworking. <laughs> and what's the like time frame? So when did you kind of like decide this is the idea, this is what we're running with to it kind of coming out and being playable? So in total, it was about 11 months, mm-hmm. which was um, very short. I was going to say, I could have thought, yes. And, and we could have spent a lot more time and money on it, mm-hmm. but indies need to be careful, um, and we wanted to do something experimental, and we everything was telling us that we had a cool idea, but the industry is very risky right now for people who haven't got a name. It's our first game as a studio, so we couldn't rely on like brand recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made more sense to put something out there and see if people liked it. Yeah. And fortunately, it went much better than we ever thought it would. Yeah, what's so, the feedback yeah. been like? It's been good. Um, so it's a very Marmite game. Okay. Um, you either love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad to say that most people love it. So I feel good. like there's such an appetite for 
basically like any true crime anything <laughs> i know that's not what it falls under but people are like weirdly interested in cults and no they are and, and, and there's um the game particularly is interested in uh how the mundane of everyday life works with the magical idea of actually trying to delve into the occult and learn these spells and develop the society so for example you have to make sure that you work um consistently at your very boring office job or at being a doctor or whatever it is you decide to do to make enough money to support your occult activities yeah but but you obviously can't work entirely on your boring office job otherwise you wouldn't have time for everything else and there's actually um, it's a bit too real seriously <laughs> no seriously and, and there's an option in it um where you have a really annoying middle manager who keeps you late at work and wants you to be like he's very exacting mm. um, and you can murder him you can oh. send something to, to kill him you can drive him insane with your magic words mm-hmm. um or you can wait for him to like retire mm-hmm. um and people really respond to this sort of stuff mm-hmm. and there's also kind of um thinly veiled um, depression and mania in there as well yeah. um, that mental health is increasingly something that the industry is aware of um, how do you feel about um, oh, sorry this is like no go for it way <laughs> off. I, I just read a lot about like especially with Fortnite and things coming out and like people being like gaming addiction's a thing I reposted a story the other day about um, about like kids going to certain like gaming rehab clinics and things yeah. do you kind of just hate that stigma a lot or are you just kind of so, I, I, from what I understand, mm-hmm. um, it has recently been classified as an actual psychological oh, wow. disease according to the medical people, mm-hmm. um, w- which is great. And I'm totally willing to believe that there is a small minority of people who, who genuinely do have, yeah, a, have a psychological disorder. Mm-hmm. And obviously, for that, I, I want them to get healthy and happy ASAP. Yeah. But the idea that games have some sort of inherent like cocaine in them mm. feels a bit like kind of moral outrage that, that we got in the 70s about rock and you know elvis before then it's exactly that and, and i just feel if, if kids are playing Fortnite for 18 hours a day that that isn't Fortnite's fault yeah. <laughs> like maybe the kids should not, not. do that yeah. and maybe mum should come in and say don't don't do that it, it's just it's a, <laughs> it's a scapegoat essentially a lot yeah. of the time like and they're designed to be really fun yeah i don't think you could fault a game for being fun but yeah i don't have much time for that theory Good. <laughs> and then um, I wanted to ask because I saw that. Well, congratulations on being a BAFTA breakthrough Brit. Thank you very much. Um, I have just questions like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was going to mention BAFTA actually. Yeah. So so BAFTA are a big, um, well-known international um, group for um, film, TV, and games. Mm-hmm. So they they combine all of that together. Um, and one of the things, one of the communities I joined when I started the industry is something called BAFTA Crew, which yeah. is for people very early on in their games career and film and TV, but, mm-hmm. but we're a bit separate because obviously they're slightly different industries. And that is really, really good at nurturing young talent and introducing people and, and you know, helping you learn quickly. And then there's another th- uh, thing called Breakthrough Brits, which is basically they, they pick, a, I think, up to 20 people every year from TV, film and games. And they say, actually, we think you're doing something a bit interesting. So we're going to kind of spearhead you and we're going to take you under our wing for a year of like mentorship. And you can like meet people and hopefully we'll help you get going you know, really faster cool. places. It's really cool. So do you apply for that or do they find you? You or? apply for it, yeah. Oh, wow. How do you like apply for it? Just for anyone wanting to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you kind of have to have certain tick certain boxes or yes so um you apply online mm-hmm. um and, and it's a yearly thing mm-hmm. so i think they're probably closed now because they've just awarded the, the this year's round of people oh, okay. um but i think it opens i don't know like like middle of next year maybe <laughs> um but bafta will shout about it so if you follow them yeah. they will tell you and we can tweet about it 
and, and we can read yeah. about it. Um, and what you essentially do is fill in an online form and you have to fill in, um, for, for games at least, you have to provide like a showreel of stuff that you've done and shown like specifically what you've added to a project. And I think you had to have worked in the industry for three years or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to have had a, a lead or significant role in a project to get in the Breakthrough Brits specific thing. But the crew um, is for people, I think anybody who's in the industry who has worked in it for less than three years. So it covers everyone. That's cool. And have you found it really beneficial so far? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's really early days. We've only recently had my kickoff meeting. Oh, okay. Um, because it was only announced, what, in November, I think? Yeah. Yeah, last year. Last year? Last month. Um, so, so yes, I've already met fantastic people. And I was, I was sitting here watching um, Beast, which mm-hmm. is a, a really great f- British film that's super spooky and amazing, came mm-hmm. out this year. And the director is another one of the Breakthrough Brits this year. And like, I'm standing next to him in the photo. And That's like, so cool. it's really cool. That's a starship thing. Because yeah, I think I associate it with um, like big actors and things a lot of the time with BAFTAs. I didn't really, I must have known they did games, but like it hadn't really clocked so much. The acting is, is, is very much um, what's, the, focused the, 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 what's focused on. And like when we had our award ceremony, like um, Tom Hiddleston was there. And obviously nice. all the photographers are just... And like, yeah, and there are some <laughs> people in my cohort for this year who are actors, and you know they're actors when you meet them because they're very pretty and they're very <laughs> confident, and you're like, are you an actor? And they're like, oh, how did you know? And you're like, because I'm a nerd, and we don't look like you. <laughs> but now you're a star, so... Now I'm a star. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's basically all a celeb. <laughs> um, and apart from BAFTA and everything, is there any particular like events that, like, when you were looking into gaming or just still are there any events that you go to like that like help out people getting into the industry are there any like particular groups or facebook groups to be part of anything like that i don't know of any online groups of people looking to get into it um there's a a very nice um expo in london called egx res which takes place in april i think every year um and that's a very friendly place where you can go around and meet lots of developers um and there's also like a bunch of universities advertising their courses and and they'd be obviously great people to talk to if, if you're kind of younger and considering going into games yeah um but it's also just nice to see the actual developers themselves and talk to them and would be a great opportunity to go and say hey do you need somebody working in your office yeah. if you want to go and show yourself um but yeah I, I don't know of any other ones helping you get in i think it's basically through universities yeah and then also emailing everyone. Ever. And emailing everyone, yeah. yeah. And just being generally proactive, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the, uh, my first, uh, not my first job, but but the second job I got at the studio I really loved was a studio called Fail Better. Mm-hmm. And I play their games, um, and they're very narrative-driven and text-driven, and they're all, all the games are set in this spooky, gothic um, universe, mm-hmm. which is just rich and delightful. And the guy who founded them, Alexis Kennedy, is, mm-hmm. is the guy I've now founded my studio with. So who knew that I would end up working with him? <laughs> um, but I actually emailed them and said, on the off chance, I'm a producer. Do you need a producer? Because I love you, and I'm going to keep emailing unless you tell me <laughs> yes or no, so you might as well just tell me something. And they were like, actually, we are interested in a producer right now. It's a good timing. Come in for a test. And that's how I got the job. That's brilliant. So, yeah, being pushy in a polite way, I yeah. think, is is key. And also, I think assertiveness is just something in general that women and a lot of people like just feel like we can't access or can't do when really like clearly it works and it's beneficial in the right ways <laughs> I mean I've, I've struggled with it like I am quite a bolshy lady mm-hmm. um, but I definitely have had mistakes oh 100% well, I, I, tw- I tweeted once and it just did work quite well because I think people um, relate is just like I put no worries if not in every single email like, absolutely all the time like obviously it's worries if not but I just <laughs> <laughs> no, you can get um, you can get like add-ons to, to browsers now, which actually 
like tell you off wow. if you put things in which say like oh ju- like just if you mm. say oh, I'm just asking just emailing I that's a classic that lady like self demeaning thing and mm-hmm. everyone does it and like again, I'm, the no no expert, worries. But. I'm no expert but it's <laughs> yeah. true and you do have to train yourself out of it because I'm sh- I've, I've spoken to many other developers about this and I've found it in my own life that if you demean yourself in the mm-hmm. sort of charming British way that we all have of like, oh, I'm a bit rubbish at everything, ooh, yeah. then, then the only person you convince that you're actually rubbish is the person you're talking to. And even if they don't think you're rubbish, you're kind of setting this, this kind of subconscious thing that, oh, she's not a threat. She's just lol. It's mm. just lotty. Oh, she's just a bit rubbish. We love her. And, and that doesn't help you at all yeah. because you're not rubbish. And even if you were, why would that be useful? Yeah. So, so it's actually a very damaging thing to do and it's not helpful. I agree. And if you were going to give any advice to um, anyone, I mean, you've given a lot already, but um, like, what would you say to young women trying to like, get in the industry or just kind of start their careers? Um, I would say two things. One is um, there are a hell of a lot of different jobs in the industry. People think of like, it's only about code and it's not. There mm-hmm. are fine artists, there are musicians, there are voice actors, there are actual actors, you know, for mocap, there's producers. Um, there's writers so I think if anybody out there is listening who has an interest in games mm-hmm. like there will be a place for you the, the key yeah. is just finding what that is so that's the first thing which I hope is, is exciting for people um, and the second thing is don't be afraid to reach out to, to women particularly in the industry if you follow someone on Twitter on social media um, if you happen to know somebody if you meet someone at a conference um, the flip side of being in the minority in games is that when you meet other women you tend to automatically want to help each other out yeah. so it's a really kind of I'm not sisterhood is a really lame word no, but, but it does exist yeah. and it is lovely um, so if you if you do meet a, a nice lady developer then, then you know talk to her and say you're really interested and I'm sure she'll help you out yep. and where can we find you like Plug everything now. <laughs> Plug all the games. Plug your studio. Everything. Okay. Um, so I'm very active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Tron Bevan. T-R-O-N Bevan. Um, you can find my studio at weatherfactory.biz um, or online at Factory Weather because we couldn't get the original Weather Factory handle because some guy with like two followers who hasn't tweeted in five years had it. That's always um, the word. And our game is Culture Simulator. I think if you... Um, I genuinely think if you contact Twitter that and they have it tweeted for a certain amount of time you can actually get the handle can you yeah interesting I, I will but it is fabulous speaking to you thank you so much for taking the time and like everything you do is brilliant and i'm gonna keep up with it thank you it. very much no, thank you